Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. We like that. All in one place for totally free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your cellular telephone or your computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else, those other places that podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify, and when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&As and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions, and best of all it's totally free zero catch we've been using it ever since we started how long gone and ever since i discovered spotify for podcasters i feel like having the option of turning off the q a's and the polls on the user dashboard (laughs) has really helped uh boost my creativity and take it to another level i highly recommend giving it a try download the spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started Oh, hi, Chris. How are you? Hey, TJ. How are you? Wonderful. I'm just... You just caught me um, st- straight out of the shower. I'm putting a little weed sport balm on, on the back of my leg. Shout out to the family at weed sport for sending me the pack. I passed the CBD rub to my mom, and I think she's going to use it. She might have already used it. Yeah, my mom, I gave her some weed sport as well. She had a little arm injury like a year or half ago or something like that and she claims that she put it on her arm and it did make the pain go away but i don't 100 percent believe any mom that says she's uses a, a marijuana related product even if it's topical and non-psychoactive well i'm gonna check the i'll check the 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 You'll, container you'll check, and see if you'll see if there's been a finger yeah. swipe into the bomb yeah but that doesn't I'll, guarantee I'll, application she could just do a a pump and dump yeah Maybe my dad just took a little nummy of it to see if it works. You never know. No, I, I mean, she seemed pretty intrigued, but I also got the the water bottle is really nice. I really fuck with the water mm-hmm. bottle. It's a perfect, it's a nice size for Barry's boot camp. And when you, you know, when you're telling your parents about this weed product and she seems genuinely curious, is it a real one or is it a mom curious of like, oh, all right, Jason? No, because, you, you know, my parents are. They keep it 100 with you? Well, my mom, unfortunately, part of her job is there's a lot of uh, traveling, like driving in the car. So I think her, she does have aches and pains uh, based on that schedule. So I think she's always... I bought them a foam roller. I've been here with a Theragun. This is just the, the final trifecta. Well, uh, you know, I'm, the, the, I'm not doubting uh, Mrs. Black's pain. I'm just more doubting her acceptance and excitement and, and lack of hesitation to use a, a marijuana-related product, topical or not. Yeah, I look. I was surprised too. I don't think she she was also like, "Do you use it?" And I was like, "Nah." <laughs> so you know, I mean, right, right, right. I was like, "I didn't." Yeah, I, makes, I mean, it's a hard thing to grasp if you're you know somebody in your truly. in your sixties, and you're like, "Oh yeah, this is just made out of marijuana, a drug that's been illegal your whole life," and you just buy it at the store, you buy it at Urban Outfitters, and they're like, "What in the fuck are you talking about?" She said this to me though. She was a like, guest, but this is made out of the part that isn't. Mm-hmm. Like, doesn't get you fucked up, basically. So she knew that already. She had done her CBD research, okay. thank God. <laughs> okay, she's, I didn't have to mansplain CBD. I saw to, it on one of my mother. sub stacks, Christopher. Exactly. You know, I saw this. I saw people talk about it. I subscribed to a guy that talks about this. 
I'm all about cannabis innovation. It, uh, <laughs> this one, it's uh, it's not cheap, Christopher, but it is a, a wealth of information. And with my profession, yeah, it think, is actually a write-off. I think me and your father actually might have invested in this. I, I, I will have to we'll have to check with our VC guys. Um, yeah. I'm, anyway, I'm just dying. So, oh, I went last, and we'll move on. Just to hear your mom say "flower" in earnest was is, is a new <laughs> life goal of mine. Me too. Actually, I, I never thought about that until now. But I mean. We do have some breaking news to talk oh, about. Um, breaking and, for me, and too. I, I did not know about this. Uh, well, no, you do know about it. It's not actually breaking, but, but there was a there was a video last night that I captured on uh, or that I saw on on the DailyMail.co.uk, the best website on the internet, mm-hmm. and it, it featured Cannibal Army Hammer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was driving in a car with sunglasses on, and he was drinking a Miller High Life Tall Boy. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. then it, the the camera pans down, and he licks a a white substance out of his homie's hand. He's off the moon rocks, clearly. He's he's either off the moon rocks, the ketamine, or the um the the classic Molly. Just the classic Molly. My man is unraveling, and I gotta tell you, I'm fucking living for it. Like I I just think he's been rich and famous and good looking for too long, and he hit a breaking point. Yeah, you mean like literally the point where you're not a hot guy anymore, and you're like, "Well, this fucking sucks." Because like, I, you know, in his prime, no, he's still hot. He was, you know, that was a nice hunk of man right there. But now, no, he's he's he, he's still he, he hot. lost it. He lost the swag sauce, if you ask me. You're saying asking girls if you could eat their heart <laughs> is going to take your swag away? I'm saying that I no, I'm, I'm, I'm basing this purely on physical appearance. Looks. He doesn't have. You know, like he, he's literally in the middle of a midlife crisis, is what he's doing. Yeah, which is interesting. It's accelerated though because cool, of his you know age. when I hit forty, I had a little bit of a fucking you know, I want to start eating a little blood, something like that. You know, bro, that guy's he's thirty four. First of all, yeah, what's the average life expectancy for him? You know, thirty four plus thirty four, yeah. that's sixty eight. Like if you told me that Winklevoss was going to die at sixty eight of a of a ketamine overdose, I'd be like hundred percent sounds good to me. Do not compare known hunk actor and heir to the arm and hammer fortune to a mere winkle vi well like, Chris, i was saying that. that because that was the character that he played in, the, in oh yeah i haven't seen that. the social network and but i like that you you the the pluralization of winkle vi that was nice but like but for example like he he plays the ultimate personification of army hammer in that movie of you know he's 6'4 250 pounds of solid muscle Looks like an Abercrombie Thank model you. and is Thank you know you. is on the rowing team and there's two of me you know it's like whose dick do I start sucking first? You wish you were describing yourself and your twin, but unfortunately that's not quite how I would say it. Um, yeah, my you know, my just, twin just, and myself, it's like look, both of us. This is 350 pounds of <laughs> of weight uh, between the two of us combined. <laughs> that is combined. It's combined. You. You do the math. I'm not going to say who's who here. You guys figure it out. You split it however you want. Our our bodies aren't perfect, and our uh, our schooling is incomplete to say the least. <laughs> but but there are two of us. I, I want to say that from now on. Did you drop out of high school? Well, my schooling is incomplete. If you if you if you ask for my transcripts, they will say whom. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That's a funny way to put there it. Are, but, there are a few inconsistencies on my record, sure. But so Army is unraveling, and he's been kicked off of a J-Lo movie that he was in. Right. So he's also getting divorced, and he has two children. Mm-hmm. So it's the like... Hairline th- is, there, is not, the hairline is not seeding. It is reseeding. It ain't getting, it's only going to get worse from here for him. That's true. I mean, luckily, he can go to Istanbul for the transplant. But yes, I... I um, he might have to go to Istanbul mm-hmm. for legal extradition. Yeah, he might need to go dry out. But Army, apparently, I've heard I've heard some rumors from well-placed sources that Army's been turning up for a while all over the country. Um, <laughs> just, you know, with, with this is firsthand. These are firsthand So when you accounts. say this turning not, up all over the country, you don't mean that he's being spotted and appearing in places all over the world like a Carmen San Diego. You mean he's turning up in the sense uh, that somebody would in the little john style uh yes okay. yeah, yeah yeah exactly there there could be a drop not in, not in like the british sense of it no man okay. no no, the, no it's usually on this podcast whenever there's a british sentiment it, it, it has is- army turned up yet oh uh, seen him around is army turned up backstage yet? you know what i mean i got a little line for him right here i want to get into a hole well, you know what i mean yeah, i saw that video i mean I know a couple people who, you know, in my life who have probably enjoyed a Miller Miller Lite out of a can while driving broad daylight. And uh, yeah, none welcome of, to the none South, of, baby. None of you did that lives, two weeks ago. <laughs> none of their lives ended up working out exactly how they planned it to be. So for this person who is a you know millionaire, famous stud muffin man who up until forty eight hours ago could probably bed anyone he ever wanted to. To do that is, is it's it's kind of sad, but also you know if the guy really wants to drink people's blood and there are willing uh, participants out there, we're not going to kink shame him on this. Let podcast. my man cook. That's not that's not what we do here. We're a very inclusive no, no, show, no, no, and no, no. I would never I, I would never do that. Yeah, to big for, especially for the skeletons in our closet, Chris. We can never kink shame. <laughs> no, that would be that would be bad. I mean the shit the shit we do on this podcast is bad enough. I mean, mm-hmm. just imagine. Are you sipping a bean, TJ? Did I hear a little a little slurp? I'm sipping a nice cup of layered, calming superfood <laughs> bean, and I'm calming. And then um, my LP picked up a nice Lassen smoothie too. Damn, must be nice. Titty titty two beverages over here. Yeah, must yeah, be yeah. nice. I'm, I'm doing a little bit what I call my fire and ice blend, and boy, does it mm. satisfy. God bless. That's great. What are you, what are you yeah. sipping on over there? And also, I had to get the smoothie because it's literally in the eighties today, temperature wise, and that's mm. Fahrenheit. We're going to peak out well, at I'm a high sip- of eighty six today. It's actually it's very nice in Atlanta today. Uh, uh, it feels fall s sixty degrees, beautiful sunshine. Wonderful. I'm sipping a I'm sipping a shot in the dark from Spiller Park, my local bean dispensary. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Really hitting, and I've got some water as well. But you know what I was doing? Just quickly before we get to our guest, yeah. I was doing a little. I was doing a little car shopping on the World Wide Web. Oh, Carvana, not Carvana, okay. Mercedes Benz dot com. <laughs> um, just lets you do some comparison shopping. But I'm I'm talking to this lease broker later that you hooked me up with. Mm, my lease and, guy. Uh, also, also goes by the name of Chris, right? Yeah, he's also named Chris, which I immediately trust him. So if he mm-hmm. if he tries to rip me off, it'll just happen, you know, because I'm I'm down with other Chris's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just I'm just doing some comparing and contrasting on the MercedesBenz.com website okay. with some different models and interiors. And as I do this, I'm just realizing, man, I really don't care about this shit. Mm. The fact to me that the fact to me that people would pay fifteen hundred more dollars for some rims is mind blowing. And that's coming yeah. from a guy who has thousand dollar shoes. 
You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying I won't, I won't spend that money somewhere, but for some reason, looking, cause, you know, when you go through the website, you pick all the upgrades and shit you want. And I'm like, no, I don't want any of this shit. I want, to, I, I'm going to pay $400 for a light that shines the logo of Mercedes mm-hmm. on the ground when I open the door. Who needs that? Yeah. That's stupid. And when you go into a dealership, they will sort of shame you a little bit and make you seem like a, a beta bro for not doing that. I'm like, oh, what? You're not going to get the freaking trim package? Like, what kind of fucking pussy are you? Are you trying to get laid? That's why I'm using my dog, Chris, to hook me up with this lease so I don't have to talk to any of these fucking mouth breathers. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how that how that goes. So what do you – are you allowed to divulge, like, you know, some hot info, uh, like I'm, model numbers that I'm were leaning, kicking the tires? I'm leaning into the – I'm I'm leaning to the E350 sedan, just a simple four-door mm-hmm. for a man on the go. Yeah. It can hold – my tennis gear in the trunk, um, you know, it's it's got a nice touch screen. I like the dashboard. Uh, and I'm sure a bunch of you fucking car dorks are going to be like, no, you should get that BMW. You should get that. Fuck off. Okay. Audis, Audis are for fucking losers. BMWs are for assistance at William Morris or CAA. Mercedes <laughs> is the car for winners. Okay. And don't forget it. And it's not, a, and I'm not going to G Wagon either because I'm broke. Okay. So let's just get that out of the way too. Yeah. But you wouldn't get one either. And even if you had the money, no, G Wagon's, G Wagon's too much car for That's a guy. A lot of, it's a, a lot of whip. Mine. You can't just you know. Yeah. You you show up in your little your little grocery getter E three fifty. People are gonna be like, cool guy, nice car, keep it moving, life is good. But that's what I want. The the G wagon pulls up and everyone's gonna be like, who the? F- I can't wait to see who, who is, comes out uh, of this thing. Which Yeezys is this guy gonna have yeah, on? Exactly. Yeah. But I I. I it does, though, that what I would pay for when I'm thinking about talking to Chris about is maybe a, a, a panoramic sunroof. Oh. Because I do, I do like, you know, when the LA sun is coming down, I don't, I, you know, unfortunately, you know, I don't want my, I don't want my head to get sunburned, but I'm willing to risk it for that mm-hmm. natural. You know, I love that. You know, I'm, I'm a hashtag natural light guy. Yeah. And so. I know that you can't afford the Rolls Royce. So if you want to see stars. I got to look up, baby. You already on know. The, yeah. On the ceiling, it has to be. No, has I, ain't, to be I, ain't, I ain't make. I ain't Meek Mill. The, the credit score ain't Wraith credit score. You know what I mean? So, unfortunately, maybe I could pay. I could just pay for I could just pay for the Wraith in cash, I guess, once we sell this podcast to Spotify. Yeah, credit, but, yeah where, where you're coming from, you don't need any low-interest APR financing. You, you drop the What the, the fuck double. is APR? Is, is APR some – is that jeans? That, what, what is that? That's the Audemars Regular. <laughs> That's what that's what I call the presidential, the, the plain Jane. Oh, that's the Audemars okay, Regular. Okay, I like that. I forget that you can rhyme. It's bro. not. It's not as much of a showpiece, but the resale. It's just wise to do that. We love that. I'm gonna hit Chrono 24 with that. Take a little flicky. You saw. I, I anyway. Sorry, we could do this all day, but we do. Have, we do have a guest today, and it's actually an esteemed guest. Once mm-hmm. again, a legacy persona. Uh, Sasha Ferry Jones um, is the former music critic at the New Yorker. Uh, he also worked at Los Angeles Times uh, as well as Genius uh, in in one of its many stages. The man has written pretty much everywhere the man has written pretty much everywhere um he did a great profile of lily allen back in the day that i can't wait to ask him about but i think that um i think that it's interesting to talk to somebody who's like a true critic who left the new yorker for for you know a a a more modern pasture um only to kind of return to legacy media uh as a person who loves legacy media i i want to hear all the romantic stories of that and and what it was like back in the day um he also makes music which i think is very interesting for a guy in the business i always found that to be really odd Mm -hmm. if a manager played played like an open mic night anyway let's uh let's give him a jingle all right we'll give him a call how long gone is brought to you by neutrophil as you know you know hair thinning is quite complicated like your skin hair is a reflection of your health Uh uh-oh and internal factors can impact the way your hair looks 
feels, and most importantly, grows. Nutrafol's whole body approach multi-targets underlying root causes like stress, hormone fluctuations, and nutrient gaps for visibly thicker, stronger hair. Go ahead, give it a tug. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth suppy with over 1 million people seeking thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with considerably less shedding. Thank God. Take the first step <laughs> to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time. Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code how long? All one word. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists and professional stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. I got Raf on the nut. <laughs> Dot com promo code how long. That's Nutrafol.com promo code how long. Officially, hello, I'm Sasha. Hi. <laughs> hey, Sasha, how are you? Nice to have you. How are you feeling? Um, you know, it's been, uh, oh, I guess we don't know each other, so there's no reason you would know this. But um, sorry, this isn't going to be very funny at all. Uh, the mother of my okay. kids uh, died last week. So, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was a, f a very quick five-month cancer. I mean, a little bit expected, but I didn't know it was going to happen that quickly. So, you know, we sat shiva last week, but that's sort of where all of our heads are at. So I'm a little bit in a different space, but I'm okay. I'm okay today. Okay. Do you, is that something that you want would like to avoid talking about or want to talk about? Um, that's a thank you for asking. The tr real answer is I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How could uh, you? So you, you guys were separated then, I guess? Yeah, we divorced in 2006, um, but we stayed very close. We have two kids, 20 and 23, John and Sam. Yeah, we were very, very close. Unfortunately, if people ask, how are you, that's kind of the answer. <laughs> well, I, we appreciate your honesty. I don't know how much you guys want to go into things like this, but, you know, it is a... Uh, she had, I guess, what you could call... What we do call a good death, and that she... It was very conscious. She was with my kids and her partner she married actually her partner in september i guess after the diagnosis she got it on her birthday of all things it was wow. her 57th birthday july 31st and then she died on january 4th so it was less than six months um but you know she was with the boys for all of lockdown there's a house in connecticut that they have and uh so the lockdown was actually a blessing for them because what is it march so they got nine almost 10 months with their mom you know, when you're in your early 20s, as a young boy running sure. around with TikTok and all that, you're never going to hang out with your parents that long over the course of your entire life, probably. No. And she was about to go traveling for the rest of her life. Um, mm. And she didn't want to marry her boyfriend because they're both divorced and, and didn't really want to get married. But after the diagnosis, they got married in September. It was the most... And they actually got married in the exact same place that I married her in 1994, which was not something not something I had on my bingo card. <laughs> Yeah, that's actually really crazy, man. I mean, obviously, this whole story is pretty crazy, but that's a really... Is that because that was a place that was very special to her? Well, it's just the house. It's her family house in Connecticut. It's hard, It's not very fancy oh, at see, all, see. but it's, it's a beautiful spot. It was an incredible wedding, um, and it was also sort of a memorial at the same time. Man. And it was the only... I think it's the only distanced event I've done during the entire pandemic, um, but it was beautiful. She looked amazing. I'm talking to you and to whoever's listening, if we even keep this, but you know, like this is not somebody anyone knows, but she's one of the most important people in my life. And the idea of her dying was so completely beyond 
I just I haven't processed it. Um, well, I guess it's a beautiful thing that you're able to maintain such a close relationship after after getting divorced. That's what I was going to say. I mean, do you think was that always the case or was that yeah. a lot to do with like the co-parenting and it kept you close? That's a good question. No, we made a very conscious decision to we got married, not because our marriage was bad, but because it had been good and it started going a little bit bad and we didn't want to be like other parents we'd seen or maybe those who raised us. And there wasn't even that much acrimony. And I don't know, I, get, I mean, it, it, it seems to be unique in some way, but I don't think we I don't think we thought about it that much. We just didn't want we didn't feel resentment. There's like this little angel now with us Mm -hmm. the entire process was very intense for me and it's a bit hard to talk about but i can say a couple of things that i think maybe are useful to people who are you know going through this or may go through it one day is that at the risk of sounding like a complete lunatic that the way you live your life is definitely a check that gets cashed in a moment like this so how principled and loving deborah was all came in like all of that came true in this moment and that so pe- so many people around her loved her and she conducted herself in such an incredible way that like we, you know we had we didn't talk very much she she didn't really want to interact with a lot of people so we had a couple of phone calls the first one and it was it was clear from the very first email she sent me the only email she sent me uh that it that she knew how bad it was like stage 4 pancreatic is that's the ace of spades right there yeah. turns out most doctors if they get it they just go right to palliative care they don't even do the chemo and she tried chemo for a couple of months, and it just made her feel like shit. And then she gave up. But there was there was so much love, and there was so much unity. You know, we had this conversation. And I said, you know, is there anything we need to talk about? Do we have any resentments? And she said, no, we're good. Which is what I thought, but I didn't I didn't know that for sure. And we sat shiva over Zoom for a week just last week, which was really beautiful. And hearing about someone you know, but hearing other people that you don't know talk about them, you know, in a part of their life where you haven't been around. Like, I haven't been with her day to day for almost 15 years, although we saw each other a lot. And hearing, like, her work friends talk about her, although they all made her sound, like, super noble. And, you know, my boys and I were both, like, you know, she was, like, a person and she was funny. Like, she wasn't, like, (laughs) Joan of Arc. Like, she was an amazing person, but all everyone was, like, she was so imposing and, and, you know, impressive. And we were, like, yeah... That's true, but <laughs> but she was this very loving, goofy person too, and it also sort of um, it interacted or coincided. Not you know, there was a connection to my sobriety, which very much came up during the shiva, because I got sober about a year and a half ago, and my younger son, after the first night of shiva, basically said, "Like, well, I've never really said anything like this, but I'm really impressed you're sober. How did you stay sober this last week?" And you know, I'm glad that he felt that way. I mean, the, the honest answer is it wasn't that hard because my sobriety came after a lot of hard work. So it's pretty stable. But for about 15 minutes, when I found out on Monday, I, I have to admit that I, I don't know that I was thinking about anything specific other than like not feeling that. Yeah, I wanted Yeah, if you had had a intravenous Valium, that would have been fine. I didn't need mm. a tequila and a beer, mm. but I definitely thought like, how mm. can I not feel this? That's an interesting uh, aside on all this stuff, because I do think that it's um, that's I, I'm sober too, and that's definitely where your head goes in, in moments like that. It's like what there, anything to escape it. I imagine the answer is actually it wasn't hard, and my sobriety has kept me going through this entire process. It's more like the hard part happened a while ago. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how it goes. <laughs> it actually, I mean, if the, the honest answer, I didn't put it to him this way because it was a very sort of intense, it was a text exchange and it was sort of, it was really moving that he, you know, he was saying something very loving and positive to me. And I guess the emphasis wasn't on how hard it was or wasn't because it's very hard to explain to somebody who isn't sober what sobriety is like because for me it's it's this gift and it's it's better than any drink I could take, which I know sounds a little bit, you know, Jonestown, but I mean, whatever works, it's true. And so, you know, I think, but I mean, his, his comment does make sense in this sort of larger context of like, wow, previous things that were awful, like you would have been drunk or high. And it's like, yeah, that's true. I mean, were they aware of you partying obviously, or, or was it just like, that's how dad is? I mean, this is an unfolding story. I seem to be starting with all insanely personal shit, but that's fine. If I wake up and I hate the idea of all of it, I'll tell you. Um, you won't have much time. This is going up tomorrow. Well, it's just interesting. I think f- for me, I just feel like most people I know that are sober or got sober are around my age or maybe even a little younger. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm in my, I'm 38, so most people are in their early 30s. I feel like that. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. I know you're older than us, so I think that um, being able to be functioning for that long of a period is, is interesting to me as a, as a bystander. Yeah, I. Also, the nature of this thing, I'm also, I've become a, what we call a KSAC. I'm a credentialed counselor. It coincided with COVID beginning. So I have, I had a year of of schooling, but I had exactly two weeks of having my job and then COVID came. So I'm going to take my little certificate down to the Vax place tomorrow. (laughs) Hopefully start working again. But um, that is essential. In these journeys of recovery, like when you go through something like the first step, like your life has become unmanageable. In my story, I don't know exactly when that point is. It's not that I argue with the conception and I claim, oh, no, I'm not an alcoholic. It's more like, well, things were very manageable and cool for a long time. Like, my my stuff all happened pretty late in life, so... Were there were there triggers of that, though, or was it just compounded? I mean, the, it, it, it was more... I mean, I think there must have been, but in these stories, and I'm sure you have the same for yourself, like, I, the uh, most honest answer is, I don't know. I don't know... When I think about myself shoplifting when I was 11 years old, that felt pretty alcoholic. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. It's a very sure. alcoholic story, and, and it had the same kind of feeling. So, I, you know, I know when things got worse, and, you know, it's a progressive disease. So it's, you know, the last 10 years are mostly when I was a little bit sort of coming apart in the atmosphere. Like, that's sort of what it felt like in the when it was bad. But So you were a tequila I mean, man? Is that what you're saying? Like anyone, like anything Mm-hmm. anything was good but at the Whatever's end yeah, te- tequila and beer seemed to be my uh i mean whatever it was it would be very sort of specific at the time so it was like white wine for a year or two then it was like vodka gimlets for a while and then it was mm-hmm. then it became just shots of tequila with with pints of beer combo a beer back yeah. although it's kind of weird to call something a beer back when it's a pint of beer like that's not <laughs> that does <laughs> not when that you're does an alcoholic that- yeah, that it doesn't roll off good. the tongue, but you know, I understand. We we know exactly what you mean by that. You know, do you, now do you think that your choice of career kind of allowed for this in some ways because because of the atmosphere and the environments you're in, or or do you think maybe you were drawn to it because of that? Absolutely, I don't. I mean, here's a funny thing, and I you know I'm still uh, unpacking all of this. I don't say peeling the onion because I hate that phrase, but. Or more will be revealed because I don't like that phrase either. But um, it can be a bulb of fennel instead. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm still, no, yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm still sautéing these onions. Um, <laughs> like when I started, you know, I started touring with with bands much, much, much younger, 
and those are situations as a, as a as a musician before yeah, before when I was a writing, teenager yeah, okay. and and through my twenties yeah. and through my thirties into my early forties like and you know you drink a shitload of beer when you're touring but all of that felt and I, I know this sounds a bit funny and it sounds like a rationalization I'm just talking about what what feels manageable and you know not manageable and that just felt like like business like work you know we drink during sound check yeah. never drank before going on we drink afterwards maybe. That was completely different. But then, yes, in these professional settings where there's just all of this downtime and people are buying you drinks, like that definitely... And there's also all this weird ego stuff that absolutely ignites the alcoholic tendencies and your self-will goes Mm. bananas or minded. And so that absolutely... That felt much more perilous to me than being on tour where it all sort of blended into this kind of physical ritual of like lifting stuff, having a beer, going on stage. Like it was all very... Mm -hmm. That was all very controlled and, and, and like there, we had a primary purpose as a band. So like I absolutely never was in any position to let any of that go nuts. So it felt different. It's weird because in that situation, there was equally unending amounts of alcohol, but I never wanted to go on stage anything other than, you know, top shape. So. There's somehow different well, after, worlds. After lugging, after lugging the Ampeg up four flights, you know what I mean? You have to reward yourself with a, a Modelo. Also spoken, yeah. spoken like a true shredder. There's certain intricacies that you are shredding that cannot be done with an inhibited mind. Gotta shred. Yeah, the SVT2 Pro is a very unforgiving amplifier. <laughs> it, it's the curse of all bass players everywhere. It is the heaviest fucking thing I've ever owned, and I'm kind of glad that it's gone now. Because I sold all my gear after we did Primavera in 2010. I sold it all. Now I'm in a band that's just actually put out a record and I don't have any gear, which is kind of a problem, but I guess not a problem right now, is it? I used to be, I used to manage bands and it was always impressive to me when I would be, I would be getting fucked up with these guys and then they would go on stage and play for two hours or an hour and a half. And I'd be like, I couldn't do that. Like I could not play drums for an hour and a half blackout drunk after doing cocaine. I just couldn't, I don't think I have it in me, but then I realized that for a lot of musicians, I think it's like muscle memory and you get the, you also, like you said, the ego, you get that recognition and the rush of adrenaline when you're on stage and maybe it helps you focus. But I was always blown away by that, that capability. Yeah. The, just the demands of being on stage. There's not, I, I never found that I had really time to think about anything other than just simply playing the songs properly. And, you know, I'd have a beer or two before going on, but we, I just, I didn't want to be embarrassed. And the adrenaline would like, yeah. I have more memories of having the flu when we were playing sometimes and how <laughs> the adrenaline would like get me through a show and then after the show it collapse. So I don't, yeah, I don't know how people play particularly impaired. I never, really tried it and i never wanted to know because sounds like chris is jealous and you're not so much (laughs) (laughs) i just more like what you don't get paid any money so why the fuck would you screw up your 90 minutes on stage like what's all you have yeah 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 yeah. it it didn't seem like if i was going to get messed up that did not seem to be the place to do it i think you have the better approach i think i i would agree but i just always found that but it's a very divided thing like people either do it that way or they do it your way there's not really like a real gray area and some people also, the nature of what they're doing, like Ozzy could be Ozzy and be out of his mind, but yeah, I couldn't play the kind of music I've been involved in and be anything other than sort of on my game. Although I've played with incredible people, I guess getting stoned is differently. I, ne- I never really got stoned very much, but there are incredible musicians who seem to smoke pot and play perfectly well. I don't really know how they do that. But. Always been envious of that. Yeah, I don't get that one either. But I think it's all, like I said, I think it's all just practice, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> for lack of a for lack of a better term, I think it's called practice. Most of it is about vibes as well. 
Also vibes, very vibes. important part of the equation. So you're, you've been a musician for a very long time. You've toured as a musician for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You've also been a critic of music for a very long time. And, Ooh. you know, when Jason and I were talking about having you on, I always, I, I find that dynamic to be pretty strange in, in like a rare air kind of way. Like I don't know anybody else that's, that's done those simultaneously. Maybe that's a, maybe that's me just missing it, but I feel like that's, that's a position that you hold, uh, exclusively. There's been, a, I mean, I feel like every critic has been in some. But I mean, like actively something. touring while yeah, also yeah, yeah, being true. a critic at the New Yorker is a very different level than like I write for a blog. Right mm-hmm. at that when I when I was on staff with them, I didn't. You didn't tour at all. No, I we did. Well, we played the one show in Primavera in 2010. I made one record in 2005 that never came out, and I think I put out a single. I did that pylon cover in 2011, but mostly there was no barely any music making going on because it was I couldn't do those two things at the same time. In the last year, actually, there's been more activity than there's been in a hell of a long time. I put out one record by myself and one record with the band and this new band I'm incredibly excited about. So the last year is maybe the only time where I actually was kind of fully doing both. Although, no, that's not true. In the 90s, I was doing I was doing both. But it was much I didn't have a staff position, so it wasn't that hard to uh, Although I did, there was a period, I just remember this because I finished this memoir for Deborah. She asked me to do it, and uh, I did it, and I printed it, and she read it. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, your memoir? Yeah, I wrote a, a, a book about myself, a memoir, and I finished it for her because she she didn't really want anything, but she, she at one point, I finally was like, <laughs> I was just dying to be helpful, and I was like, do you want me to write you something? And she said, yeah, finish that book that I've been asking you to write forever, so I finished it. Um <laughs> I can show you the cover later. I forgot what we were talking about. Playing music and... Oh, there was a point when I I went on tour. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It was not a a particularly impressive piece of writing even when I was doing it. But we had to tour in like 99 and my friend like wrote one or two of my columns. I think he even wrote (laughs) one that had my name on it. It's not something you're going to find. It's not like the stuff I did for Spin Mm -hmm. or The Voice. That's really funny. It was... uh, (laughs) it, It was weird. Yeah, so no, <laughs> that that was one of the things. So that anyone ma- could do it, huh? Well, no, that's one saying? of the things that made me exactly. That is what I'm saying, actually. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I've got a new job now, Chris. That's the whole point, <laughs> especially for a not particularly. In- I'm not going to talk about that, but anyway, um, yeah, you- <laughs> there's a lot that could be said about what what happened at Woodstock '99. I'm sure exactly. whoever wrote that article for you did a great job. <laughs> So what, I mean, what's it like? Uh, what's it like writing a memoir? Well, I <laughs> was under contract to do it for a long time, and I didn't do it for a bunch of psychological reasons that I think had to do with I don't really fucking know. But when Deborah said, "Hey, I want this thing," kind of all of the lights went on. My friends around me were incredible. A friend, my friend David Grubbs, hooked me up with a uh, designer who went pro bono. We found a good printer. I printed up about ten of them. Um, mm. And I somehow finished it. And I saying that there was sort of a fire under my ass is a very that's putting it mildly like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the word deadline was sort of morbidly accurate. So I just had to fucking do it. And I didn't. <laughs> and a couple a bunch of my friends helped me edit it. And but it went very, very, very quickly. And a lot of it I didn't even read twice. I just showed it to people. We fixed the typos, gave it to the printer and she got it and she read it right around Christmas. And that was that. And that, that was its primary purpose. It'll find its way into the world at some point, but it was really for her. So that's, that's in, incredible. That's incredible. 
to me. That that I feel like that's one of the hardest things to do. But I do think that it was just the circumstances; just it fell out of you. I, I had a lot of shame around not finishing a book, so I f- it felt like a gift that she gave me. I mean, she was asking me to do something for her, but really, it was a gift to me to give me a reason. You know, and now I finished one, like, and it was actually incredibly fun, despite you know the obvious mm-hmm. sort of context is not fun. But um, having that much control over this big sort of loose thing that I could move around and make what I wanted, and you know, I I had I had this thing with me for a couple of years and I really didn't like it at all. And when I really had to look at it, it's a little bit like sobriety when I had to look at it and be like, this is just terrible. This is terrible. This is okay. (laughs) And once I found the voice of it, it became incredibly satisfying, which is going to help me finish the other two books. So that was such a mitzvah she did for me by saying, you have to do this thing. And I knew I had to do it and I did it and it was fun and I loved it. And uh, I have an idea of what it feels like to write a book now, but a lot of my resistance had to do with not looking at material that I knew wasn't very good. And then I didn't have the, I didn't, and that's sort of a luxury to be like, Oh, I suck. Like that kind of self criticism was not something I had time for. So I had to just fucking look at it and get it done. And I did. And once you've sort of broken that barrier once with anything you do, whether it's, you know, getting sober or learning how to play a Led Zeppelin song or whatever, it's not that scary anymore. It's amazing so. the you know the people that we bring into our lives, our partners and you know girlfriends, wives, whatever it is, the way that they do that exact thing that you need to be done and you can't do it and you've tried yep. your whole life and they're just like oh just do this and you're, the whole world just kind of stops and like you know it's amazing that we meet those people who can push that button in us. That it's really true that they're. I mean, Deborah was incredible in that way. How supportive she was. How. I think this is in the book, but she was, you know, very supportive of my writing. And there's actually a, an interesting story there. I need to give her credit for something. And she and she loved the band. But I made a film back in like 86 when I was at college. And for some reason, I hadn't shown it to her. So like, you know, somewhere in the in the middle of the 90s, I was finally like, oh, I have this VHS. Like, I'm watching to see this movie I made. And it was one of the first times she looked at it and was like, uh, yeah. And she was like, she was like, that's not it. That's chief that is not it and and because she, said, she because she was so idiot, chief it was not and because she was so fair and never did anything for either good or bad effect like she would never neg you for some reason and she wouldn't you know puff you up if you were didn't deserve it like i took that very very seriously i was like oh wow this film is really not good and um and it's neither you know it's not a big deal it's not like i make films so but she was incredibly supportive of the band and of the writing and the new yorker job in many ways is Thanks to her, because what happened was it would have been 2002 or three, and Nick Hornby, sorry, my man, was writing the pop column for a minute, and I just couldn't fucking handle it because he seemed to hate popular music. He was basically like, ah, I don't like this Beyonce person, but hey, Los Lobos, they're great. And I was like, fuck, dude. I mean, that's, I think that's. Sounds like my kind of cat. That's actually a, a pretty accurate description of what he was writing, and I was like, fuck this shit. And one day I actually threw, he wrote a column about the top 10 and I threw the fucking magazine across the room. And Deborah was like, well, why don't you just write to them and say like, hey. And and so I wrote to them a letter that I didn't think was exactly an audition. I was more saying like, your magazine seems pretty good, Mr. Remnick. You're pretty good at all the other things. <laughs> I like your little, I like your little rag, bro. Let me help you out. And, but I was like, you really, like, you don't have, what, what I said, I think, if I remember was like, you wouldn't have someone who was covering the Iraq war come back and say like you know what i'm more of a like spanish civil war guy i don't i can't really do this war 
But I was like, you have a pop critic who basically doesn't like popular music. So like that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, I can give you some names. And I remember very clearly that I got back, I figured out the email sort of format and I got back a thank you. And I was like, that's weird. And then a year, maybe more than a year later, right around my birthday, 2004, I got a call and he was like, would you like to come in? And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this, I completely forgot. And I'd even written the letter. I was like, what are you talking about? And that was that. Come in for what? It was Deborah who said, like, just... Also, when we did the uh, collaboration with Stereolab, I was, like, listening to this Brian Eno song. And I was like, oh, man, I want to hear Letitia sing this. And she's like, why don't you just ask them? And she was really good at being like, just do the thing. Like, it's not that big a deal. Mm -hmm. And I've really carried that forward in my life. Like, she, she was so good at just doing things. Like, but, like, right on, on the point. Not, like, super pumped mm -hmm. up or, like, super you know, dramatically self-doubting or anything. She would just be like, well, mm -hmm. just, just do the thing. Like, just get on with just it. Just in and a way that is so simple, but it just smacks you across the face of like, oh God, of course. And she, yeah, she was just, she was something else. Well, hopefully you're able to, uh, you know, pass that on and do that for other people who feel, you know, who are almost there. They just need that last little puzzle piece to connect it all together. I mean, that certainly comes up in the work that I do in recovery with people, but I, as far as like a family, like there's my two boys and me, and then there's our, you know, our partners. But I think we do feel this very, I don't know what to call it without sending like a total cornball, but it's something like a sense of mission. Like I just want to do shit that would be, or like would line up with things that she would, she would do or would want to do because, you know, the things that she supported, she had that unerring quality, even if it was something that she didn't understand. It's not like she loved like drum and bass or some shit, but I could, you know, I could play her a new record and have her be like, yeah, that one's, that one's, that's good. Or like, that one's not so good. Like, don't put that one on. She somehow could figure shit out in a, in a very unpretentious, simple way. She was about it, as the children say. She was about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you know, people, say. people like you, or I mean, I feel like I'm the same way, you know, who might be, you know, stumble over their own thoughts in their head or they might be overthinking things too much. You know, we need those people in our lives to just kind of hone in that frequency into something that's very clear. And it's a certain kind of selflessness, too, because let's say you have a loved one who does something you don't care about or even know that much about. Like somebody really wants to be a florist. I mean, I love flowers, so that's a bad example, but... I don't know anything about being a florist. And she was the kind of person who would absolutely support you in being a florist. Even, I mean, that's a bad example because we all love flowers. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't like she wanted me to do the thing that was on her. Let's say you got really into golf. <laughs> much better example. Much better example. She would have, she would have tolerated that. I Maybe. <laughs> but I think if it made me really happy, she would have, I mean, like our older son, Sam, is like an incredible skier. That was something that she had to, we had to get somebody outside the family to come in and be like, will you take the kids on a ski vacation? Cause like <laughs> we didn't, I don't fucking know how to ski. You know, it's that Brooklyn life, like no skiing. Uh, you could sort of can ski in Fort Green Park. I, I did take my sled down there one day in the late seventies and like fly off the fucking edge. <laughs> and I loved it. I don't and, know. I don't know if that counts as skiing. <laughs> it, it felt very much like skiing. I landed on a car. It was very dramatic. It was one of the massive, massive blizzards in the in the mid to late seventies, and there was just like you couldn't see anything. It just became this one long slope. But then at the end, there was unfortunately a car. So sorry, guy. <laughs> I ran. I was like, oh, I heard the metal on metal, and I was like, nope. 
well, I mean, they 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 don't build cars like they used to back in the seventies. So I'm no. sure that station wagon was a okay, not a dent on it. Actually, good point. <laughs> what um what are the other two books that you mentioned? Oh, there's one is uh, a music writing book that I've been working on for a long time. My my publisher is very long suffering. My editor. I mean, I, I think, think my I editor. Think that's was, kind of the thing with publishers in general. They're you know, yeah. and editors. That's part of the job description. I think my editor, when I gave him this book, was just sort of like, "Okay, this is one of the three books we've discussed. Great, um, <laughs> cool, thanks." It wasn't the one he was expecting, which is the music book. Which is, um, it's kind of me like crunching all of the writing into a new thing. It's not really a collection. It's more like. I changed how I thought about things and I said, okay, well, there's some tendencies I've seen. I don't have a definitive take on anything or any person, but I think there are these things that have happened repeatedly and I think it would make sense to crunch everything up. And I wrote two or three new essays and now I'm just stripping it out and turning it into this different, it's sort of like sampling your old cat. It's like going Mm -hmm, back mm -hmm. and, and just taking bits and pieces out of things and Again, that sent some of that same quality of going back and being like, "Oh my god, I can't stand this piece." But like, if there's one good line in it, you know, like the one good drum beat, it's fine. And I just tossed. Well, what it. are those? What are those consistencies that you are finding in this old work? Yeah, do you mean like trends or things you see repeating over history as you're writing about them? That's an example. Well, the piece that I'm finishing now that I hope will be out somewhere soon. It's a process I call flickering. And it's what I see in the last 20 years of music. And it has to do with auto-tune and multitasking and switching between two states. And uh, okay, so I mm-hmm. found everything that I thought went with that, like James Blake, Frank Ocean, auto-tune, some other stuff. And that's one, that's one little stripe. And then there's like 20 mm. or 30 other. They all have really stupid names, like crunchers and feathers. And No, I like that. I that's made good. it intentionally stupid. But the stuff that fits into these processes, because I just changed the way... I saw looking at movements and periodization. So I looked at a lot of my old work and just didn't fucking like it. I mean, that's one place I started was like, I don't want to reprint this shit. Also, a lot of it's on the internet. So it feels dishonest to say to somebody, Hey, give me 21 bucks for this collection of shit. You could have printed at home. Like, I don't, that's not eating. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the third one is a novel, which I did not expect to ever write. But a friend of mine asked me to be part of a writing group a couple of years ago. And I said, okay, well, what's the idea? And she said, well, you know, we're all writers, but do something that's not your day job. Like, it has to be something completely different. You can't bring in some book review and workshop it. So out of nowhere, I just came up with these three or four people who lived in New York, and then it developed into this sort of... There was a crime novel I tried to write once, and I put that in there, and there's a whole lot of stuff in rehab, um, and it's about New York and people who kind of lose their minds. and And then in the third section, they're given these very suspicious, weird not very legitimate jobs. So it's sort of like, (laughs) and it's written in like a whole bunch of different voices. And that's the thing I've enjoyed writing the most, but you know, it's definitely not something that anyone asked for. So I don't really know what to do with it. Hey, what novel is? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Who really wants to read anyone's novel? I'm I'm sure you get asked this a lot, but like your, um, you know, your motivational techniques, how do you get into the mindset of sitting down and and writing for a number of hours? Oh, I I don't have any technique at all. I just, I hate it. (laughs) I, I, I never want to do any of okay. it. What do you, well, are you a Google Docs daddy? <laughs> are you, uh, are you using, are you doing longhand on the, 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 the legal pad? Like what, what, what are the tools maybe? I have a bunch of super, like, I get these weird chemical 
chemistry notebooks, which are very cheap and very beautifully durable, and then do a lot of writing longhand. They're more bits and pieces. Are those lined pages or no? Yeah, they're lined. And then, okay. yeah, I'm a Google Docs person, so when I finally do it, I do it in like pretty quickly in, in a couple of sessions. But I mean, because it's been a, it's been putting money, like putting food on the table and paying the rent for so long, it doesn't feel like particularly special one way or the other. It's more like, like almost any other writer. I'm like, well, you know, the deadline's coming up. I mean, in sobriety, I'm pretty good with deadlines. I think before <laughs> I wasn't very good. Well, at- the deadline's coming up. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> guess I got to do, I guess I got to sit down and do this shit now. I think the difference is like in non sobriety, I was probably like, well, I have half an hour before it's due and I can probably get away with handing it in two days late. Let me do that. And now, like, a couple of days before it's due, I I, feel seen. I dig in. And if it's a book, I have to start reading it right away. So the book reviews tend to be actually be more on time because there's absolutely no way to get those wrong. Like, I have to put in the work. Mm. And now, you know, I enjoy the work. I've always enjoyed the work, but I enjoy it in a, in a, a less tortured way now. So I don't – I'm always giving myself a hard time and, and wishing that I could work more efficiently and harder. So like, I've never been satisfied Mm -hmm. with how much I work. I'm always like, God, you only wrote for like 30 minutes today. What's wrong with you? So like, I don't have any feeling of pride in the process or anything. That that makes all of us feel better. Thank you. The, I mean, the the finishing the memoir was very, very different from almost everything I've done. That was like, Mm -hmm. I liked being in that document. I did it for hours at a time. It had a total, because it was not for pay. Like it wasn't for anyone Mm -hmm. other than myself and, and for Deborah. So, that that it felt more like well, doing, and it had probably been a long time since you'd done something that wasn't for pay that was truly like i just want to do this so i'm going to do it when it becomes your job it's hard to do that i can't remember but like you know that's another thing she gave me she reminded me like like music because music has always been that way it's always been the inverse never had anything to do with money i never it was never for anybody but the band and ourselves which is how the body meta record was done and like I've always enjoyed it, so having writing be that pleasurable was actually sort of disorienting because I was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, you can actually fucking enjoy writing. I had no idea, um, or I'd, yeah, I'd I mean, especially especially in your so- sobriety, you know, we need to chase those highs as much as we can, and I'm sure the high you experienced from you know hitting the end on this memoir was better than any uh, fistful of oxycontins that chris has ever taken right <laughs> i've never I, that was not my not my drug of choice but um yeah it actually re- <laughs> it reminded me of being don't a, don't shame me okay don't shame me we I'm all make shaming our choices you at all. okay i'm just no, I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> i'm disambiguating no shame at all just just disambiguating, disambiguating. damn remember that. don't go don't go over our pay grade, okay? Disambiguating. <laughs> our listeners our listeners don't know what that word means. You guys can pause and look that up now. Yeah, I was just being clear there. Um, <laughs> it reminded me sort of of writing when I was a teenager. Actually, I had a really, really intense flashback to being 15 and writing my, my play on, my, on, a, on a typewriter in my room and how, how much fun that was. And that had not come into my head for so fucking long. I didn't expect... Any, I mean, the the circumstances with with Deborah's illness meant that everything felt completely heightened and weird and like. And I also was thinking a couple of, I mean, it, it, it's so recent the death that like I'm just sort of, you know, I'm just getting back to my assignments. I'm actually having a really hard time writing and uh, and like without that, without the sort of the momentum of this thing, all of a sudden I was like, shit, maybe I won't be be able to write another book. Like maybe without the intensity of this of this reality, like I just. Mm-hmm. 
I'll I'll like fall apart and I'll be totally lame or some shit. Now you know what it feels like to finish it. Yeah. You've done the thing. It's like when, you know, Tony Hawk does the 900. Once you see that it can be done, just do it again. Isn't it funny how Tony Hawk became such a like, or how other people like, <laughs> like, like say uh, Danny DeVito he's, or like Paul Stanley from Kiss, like they become these super wholesome, like widely beloved people. And like you, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have been able to pick like, okay, who are the people who everyone will uncomplicatedly love? Like Paul Stanley is amazing on Twitter. He's just like, I'm going biking again. And I'm like, you go, Paul. <laughs> go biking, Paul. I guess in contrast to Gene Simmons, it bumps his, him up a few extra points as well. He said, he said lots of really lovely things. I just like you, you don't ever know who's going to like come back around and seem like, oh man, I love that person. Or I love, or like Dionne Warwick. I love her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, yeah, definitely could not have called that one. I agree with Tony Hawk though. He is, he is pretty much beloved across the board. Yeah, you can't, you can't be mad at, yeah, who doesn't like Tony? I'm, Hawk? I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you have completed a Tony Hawk style maneuver. You have, you have, a, you know, the footage of it, and that should be enough motivation. Oh yeah, hold on, let me show you. You got the footy. So you know that I'm not fucking faking the funk here, but that's here it is. <laughs> oh yeah, amazing. So you had them printed properly with a cover and everything, and you gave these to your friends as well. No, they just went to the boys and to Deborah and to, I guess, one or two other people. Yeah, I mean, that, I want to keep the cover for the one that goes into the world, but also like. I don't know what to do now. It could be twice as long. It could be, I don't know. So I'm hoping... Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Do you want it... Is is the publisher... Is this going to come out for public consumption? Is yeah. that the plan? I mean, I hope so. I mean, I, I'm waiting yeah. for, for people, the people who have that power to weigh in on it. And uh, and I, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, the moment it went off, I stopped thinking about it and looking at it. So I don't... You know, I've gotten a lot of feedback that helped. Um, and people seem to be really... They liked it more than I expected. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. At, at, at the very least, if I, I was going to say if I get hit by a car, but that's how actually Deborah's mother was killed a year before that. Anyway, I was going to say if I get hit by a car, I have at least finished one small book. So there we go. So now you can start living the uh, second half of your life on the back mm-hmm. nine. LP, LP2. LP2. And then we'll be able to write. <laughs> it does feel very much like, part due. it feels like everything is sort of restarted. I had this thought the other day that, that like Jesus's like being reborn was like sobriety bc and ad for you yeah i mean everything feels corny when i say it like that but i'm, I'm a corny guy that's not what easter was really about i don't think but <laughs> but like i'm not sure that it's not about that if you know what i mean no he he moved the fucking rock it's no joke man exactly he walked again i gotta say as much as this i didn't expect to talk about heavy things i'm incredibly glad that you haven't asked me either a what I'm listening to or B like so where's music going, which is <laughs> like for fucking like for ten years every time I'd show up for like some kind of public radio thing hoping we were going to talk about some something of of value it was always a sort of like business tech improvement talk like what's next for streaming and it's like a nobody knows b who the fuck cares and like spotify spotify and apple music and title they're duking it out right now who do you think's going to come out in q1 <laughs> no we we uh we, we were going to do a lightning round just to see how you felt about you know the lemon heads and dua lipa but we'll save that for round two you know what i mean it's fine i don't barely know anything about the lemon heads i somehow avoided them the whole time well let me i'll send you Too some hot. links when we finish this show about it's a shame about ray one of my see it's one of my favorite albums of all time, but I I didn't 
get to live through it. You know what I mean? In, in a way that, that I, no, I'd love to get a lot of the, anything that came out when I was very much operating in a band, which is sort of from 86 to 2003, like a lot of things were filtered through, like, what are we doing in the band? And like, who are we working with? So people who were like kind of in somebody else's backyard, I completely missed entire bands, like top to bottom. Like I don't, think i've heard more than like five pearl jam songs um that's hard to do well i i guess i guess i didn't like them so i didn't want to you know but there are a lot of bands <laughs> yeah, that i thought i didn't fired. like and like no i mean there are a lot of people i went back to and i was like oh then this this band is sick like people i didn't pay very much attention to the cocteau twins for instance um and then i had so many friends who loved them or actually a big one is nick cave and the bad seeds who i ended up just worshiping but i'm old enough that i was like ah oh, man birthday party was great like the bad seeds suck so, like, I checked out in 1987. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, enough people were like, you know, like, uh, you, you should come back. And the, they were right. And, you know, he's delightful. He was able to top release the bats after all. Yes, he was. He, he uh, oh, man, release the bats I, is such a great song. <laughs> yeah, I, I've definitely I listened been to a lot of Nick Cave. Nick Cave, yeah. Like, Nick Cave, like, when the age when I would, when I, in, like, my early, early 20s, everyone I knew was super into Nick Cave and the Bat Seeds. It was, like, cool to like that. Especially when I was trying to have sex with goth chick. That's the main takeaway of that for sure. But do you guys read the Red Hand Files, his little newsletter? I've read a couple of them. I mean, it's pretty cool no. what he's doing. Yeah, I really like. Why is his hand so red? <laughs> I don't know. I think that maybe that's the Peaky Blinders song that they. Whoa! Tell me it's not blood. And I don't know why his hand is red. That's a good question. You guys, <laughs> have you guys seen that German TV show where they play um, Junkyard uh, Birthday Party? No, no. Yeah, it's really seen. old, and they're all standing on their own little platforms. It's one That's of the so cool. it's one of the greatest performances I've ever seen in my life because everyone is in their sort of idiosyncratic, like glory. Like Tracy, the bass player, has his cowboy hat, and Roland is like <laughs> twisting around. They all look. They got that hair and ah, uh. that hair. I need to watch. I need to watch that. I go into deep television performance holes on youtube i think if you just say junkyard live german tv you'll find it it's so oh my god it's so great and that's and that's why i couldn't deal with the bad seeds because i was like how could you leave the birthday party you were in the greatest band ever like how am i (laughs) supposed to fucking listen to this bad seeds elvis bullshit okay similar to the morrissey and the smiths then yeah i i didn't find more i love the smiths but morrissey the contentious like (laughs) sword swinger like i just didn't i I, I wasn't mad at him. I just didn't want to have to deal with it. And without that guitar playing, I didn't really care. That's yeah. a cool way to. That's a cool way to say you're not into something. You know, I just, I just didn't want to deal with it. You know, I just. Well, didn't, it's true. I, didn't I mean, I, he's fascinating. I know, I know. But I mean, those first few albums were just so remarkable that, I, you know, yeah. um, I. But I'm sure that's no, a, that's a good example of like what there must be like 19 Morrissey records. I'm sure somebody there's could, a lot. There's too many. I, there's I bet there's many. like a mid period one that's amazing. And if I sat down, I'd be like, oh man, I fuck with this. There's only so and much time. Cool there's enough that you can just you know spin the wheel and just throw a dart at any old Morrissey album, and there'll be one song on there that floors you every time. I kind of it would yeah, be it would true. be fun to find the the one really good Morrissey solo record. Not a thing I've really ever thought about, but maybe. It'll have to be. Um, it'll have to be a we'll compilation. We'll take. We'll take. We'll take this offline. Yeah, it'll be. It'll be Morrissey. The singles is probably is probably what you're going to be looking for. <laughs> well, speaking of speaking of music, have you? Do you have any experience DJing, Sasha? I you know I make mixes which I post on Mixcloud, and I 
people have asked mm-hmm. me since I sort of started making music to DJ. So like I show up and I get paid to play music sometimes, but I have no, like I select things. I'm a selector. Mm-hmm. I'm not. How, so okay, how, what do you, what do you use to DJ? Uh, when I, I did some stuff in LA, I started using tractor. Okay. And I, I'm pretty happy using tractor, but you know, I don't have any skills beyond just like mm-hmm. being able to f- choose songs I like. And I really love yeah. doing it, but like I, I mean, I, re- I love making these mixes and I can like, mm-hmm. I can beat match, but that's because the software is doing it for me. Like that's not, that's not a skill. So you're, so you're using tractor to make these mixes. Yeah. All the one I just put up five, I think for 2020 and it was really fun to make them. I mean, they're, they're lots of weird instrumental music. Like it's not like, um, I mean, I, mm-hmm. my Spotify playlist has all the fun stuff like the Dua Lipa, the, the mixes I made are all what we call murder spa. For the heads, like spook, just like spooky, quiet, beautiful, like dying refrigerators and shit. Okay. <laughs> sounds, wow, sounds really right sold me on that. Day. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah. Something, something that I can meditate to. Yeah, or or they become look out the window. I started I started taking out the really ridiculously noisy things because nobody really wants to hear that. So, no, the, the they're they're That's very true. friendly mixes. They're very they're like. They're good. You'd like them. But the disco tunes, all the fun stuff is on the Spotify one because I just, I wanted to make them, it's it's totally annoying to be, you know, to prove to someone like, oh my God, this is my favorite, you know, Morton Feldman and and then play the Dua Lipa because like, what's what's the point of that? I don't want to mm-hmm. do, I don't, I'm not going to do that to you. That's silly. Yeah. I've, I've always felt that if you're going to have a mixtape, I, I want it to a vibe. be a theme. You got a vibe. Theme and a mood of like, oh, I want to put this on when I'm going for a run. I'm going to put this on when I'm cooking pasta for dinner for my friend. You know, I don't want a Merzbo curveball. Exactly. I think it's <laughs> legitimate to like establish a vibe and then stick with it for 45 minutes. Cause I mean, that's what I want. You know, if, if I'm starting with a Scott Walker vibe, I want to stay there. And if I start with a mm-hmm. Dua Lipa vibe, I want to stay there. That was my favorite. That was definitely my favorite pop song of the year. I don't think anyone came close to that tune. Which, which song? Uh, don't start now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was it's that, no electricity or one kiss, but it is a nice offering from Dua. What's that? I said it's no electricity or one kiss by Dua Lipa, but it is a nice offering. Okay. <laughs> he, said, he said, "Okay." Sasha, do not agree to disagree with me. That is just fact. We we. I mean, I just, no, I, I just I don't know those songs as well. So. Oh okay. One kiss. One kiss was an anthem. Have you ever been to a grocery store? You know, I no, I know them. I don't know them as well. See, do, I see. You don't start you now is one of those songs that I've listened. Like, if there was a play count, Spotify doesn't even have one. Mm-hmm. But if you, thank God, I, my don't start now play count is like three hundred and nineteen or something. Like when okay. I when I really fall in love with a song, like it just it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. I do the same thing. I listen to things over and over and over for for a period. So of time I've neglected really a lot like of it. other songs because I just you know. I think Sasha knows what his homework is this afternoon. Doesn't exactly. He? It's mm-hmm. well. It's one kiss and what was the other one? Electricity. That's right. I'm I'm there. <laughs> if you're into Damn. anthems, how how do you listen to music nowadays? Um, in Quar, in, in Kovi. <laughs> do not say Kovi on this podcast. Kovi, uh, you know, like, are you Kobe. are you you're, so you're a Spotify guy through the Sonos vinyl through the Hi-Fi? I listen to. I mean, I listen to. I don't like to get into the Spotify as bad arguments because the record business has always been a bunch of criminals so like mm-hmm. there's nothing interesting to me about the spotify argument um agree payola has been happening since the dawn of time well also just like if you it's actually it is actually a separate argument because it's about like signing stupid contracts and getting into situations where 
I think the musicians are much more complicit with their own exploitation than they want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love musicians. That, I I've spent my entire life with them, and I love them to pieces. They're much more honest and loving than, say, writers. Um, <laughs> but but they they do tend to, like, whine, like, way too fucking much for my... <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'll listen to... I mean, we have a little stereo here. I'd be, I'll sit here all the time and... Play whatever the fuck through the stereo. I got iTunes. I have Spotify. I have Koboos. You guys fuck with Koboos. What the fuck is that? Excuse me? What is that? That sounds like a new non-alcoholic aperitif. It does. (laughs) It's really a bad name, isn't it? Koboos. I don't know why it's called that. (laughs) Terrible. It's just just a high-res streaming service. It sounds nice. Yeah, I don't have any particular... So is it title without Jay-Z? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess it is. And it does. It Mm. sounds good. I mean, I don't have any... You know, I'll listen to YouTube. I don't care. I don't have any strong. I mean, Spotify is fun because you can make these long lists and you can sort of keep track of what you're into. And but I have tons of stuff in my Apple, my whatever. What is it called now? Music. Yeah, just music. used to be iTunes. I said I miss no? iTunes back when iTunes was iTunes. You know what I mean? Yeah, they got to stop changing the names of things. Oh my god. I want to talk about your Substack. How how are you liking life as a stacker? Subby. I love my Substack. I um, <laughs> I wish I could remember how. To log in, yeah, log in. Because <laughs> I've been doing like b- blogs of some kind since like 2003. I can't remember how the conversation went, but I was sort of like trying to figure out how to do it in a slightly more organized way. And then I ended up meeting the guy Hamish who started it, and I just thought he was nice. And I started one, and I love doing it. But it's it's weird now that it's there are these articles about Substack as if it were like a thing with a culture, and if it were different from X, Y, and Z. And I think like. It just reminds me of, like, you wouldn't read an article about, like, here's RCA Records. But, like, that's what it is to me. It's just, like, <laughs> in the same way that I, I love Bandcamp, but, like, some other service could do it as well or better. I don't know. Like, I like the Substack guys. It's been a really good experience for me. Um, I'd like them to make the, make it, because I don't have a paywall, I wish that people could call their, when they pay, I'd rather call it a donation than a subscription, because anyone can subscribe. Anyone can get all the the writing and shit, but like the money is. So you have nothing behind the paywall. No, there's nothing no, other than no, like okay. I sent somebody a WeTran. You know, I, subscribers got a WeTransfer link to get the d- mixes on their. You know, you could get the wave files. Okay. But other than that, like no, nothing's behind a paywall, and I don't, I don't want to do it that way for a, a bunch of reasons. What's the main reason? I have been happiest in my life when I had a paid job and did the things that mattered to me in a way that where money was not involved. And that was complicated by having a staff job at The New Yorker where I was doing something I cared about and being paid. In some ways, that made it more confusing in some ways. And so now I'm, you know, I'm hoping to go back to and, and work in a rehab facility. Um, I want things to be accessible, especially if I write about, like, I just interviewed this amazing band called the Still House Plants. Cool name. They're, they're fucking amazing, these young people um, in London. And anyway, like, I, I don't want it to be hard for people to find that article, like, if I write about an artist, I want people to be able to find that piece and access it. Mm-hmm. And and the internet is what it is. And it's really, really helpful, incredibly helpful when people pay. Like, it made a huge difference in my year. But I just don't feel okay compelling them to do it. And I mm-hmm. would much rather have somebody read for free for two years and then throw me some money. That's fine with me. I just, I just feel mm-hmm. really fucking weird putting it behind a paywall because then it's like, okay, I'm not the New York Times or the New Yorker or something. Like, I don't have that much to offer. Like, it, it feels strange <laughs> you to should ask tell somebody- that. You should tell that to a lot of these young substackers then. 
<laughs> I, I mean, I get it. We, we, we're all, you know, a lot of us, you, you know, I, my gross income last year was very not big. <laughs> it helps. It helps when people pay for this thing, but I, I can't, I'm not at a place yet where I feel like, okay, I've got something, you know, it's different. Like the band put out a record and we put an $11 price tag on it, but that was different for me. Like that was, you know, it's almost an hour of music that we, you spent a lot of money to make or not. We didn't spend that much money, but like, you know, we, we killed it. And like, you can't do that in your house without us. So like, you definitely owe us 11 bucks. Like that's easy. Like that's not hard for me it, with, with, a, I mean, for instance, because of what happened with Deborah, like I haven't posted in a couple of weeks and I don't even know when I'm going to post next. And if I had like a Mr. Professional vibe about like, subscriptions and i post on every wednesday i feel really weird about it but you know i i make a deal with you like i'm gonna be my idiosyncratic self and you're gonna figure out if you want to pay for it but like i sometimes i'm gonna pause to catch my breath and figure out what i wanted to say and that doesn't feel weird but i would feel weird if i was pretending to be like dr newsweek or whatever the fuck like here's you know (laughs) here's you know what's going on with platforms what's going on with the earbuds like yeah i, I think about, about that platforms that's that's a common thing of like once you turn on that paywall button you can't you can't turn that hose back off you're forever indebted to the people that are paying right. you money and you have to dance and you know at that point you could argue that that is also going to be the the fire under your ass that gives you a reason to to write which could right. turn out more in yeah. you know output at the end of the day no, that's a really good point. It, there are moments when you get into a professional, like you're with a magazine or newspaper, and you you can really enjoy that sort of da- daily kind of burn. You're like, oh, got a file, got a file. Like that can be, mm-hmm. that can be really fun. But I just the nature of my life now is such that I knew that that would not make sense for a Substack for me. And also, like I don't want like a coherent, like I don't want to have a, I don't want anyone to be expecting what comes next. Any more than when I wrote when I wrote the column for the magazine for the New Yorker, like I didn't want anyone to be like, "Oh, I know what's coming this week." You know, I I always wanted it to be like the thing that a little bit undid the last one. So you know, if we did mm. if we did Dua Lipa, then we were going to do Scott Walker. If we were doing Bazinski, the next thing was going to be Robin. You know, like I wanted them to to sort of buttress each other so that they all seemed equally important because that's kind of that was my mm-hmm. little my little Mister Rogers mission was like. It was like, hey, just, you know, it's all intense. It's all good. Like, you know, please come out of your bunker. Like, it's going to be fine. You're not special if you like serious music and you're not special if you like pop music. Like, Well, that sentence <laughs> is kind of the distillation of Chris and my relationship as a whole, I would say. <laughs> what is your, your your relationship is based on collapsing things? Uh, Based on I'm not important or special for liking serious music and he's not important or special for liking popular music. Oh, so it's like the Statler and Waldorf vibe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we come to we come together on certain things, of course, but overall, I, I would say that's a fair assessment from Jason. But, but, for example, one thing that Chris would say is he would prefer the band Hole over the band Nirvana. What say you, Sasha? Oh, wow. That's, that's an awful oh, wow, question. Right. Oh, I, wow, I really right. don't want to have to choose one over the other. Um, I feel like I'll be lying if I don't say Nirvana, but that makes it sound like I have something against Hole, which I don't. It makes you sound sexist. <laughs> for pure listenability i go back to hole more than i go back to nirvana that's all i mean by i that. go back to nirvana much more than i go back to hole well there you go the t- decision made you 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 we talked you out of it in fact i was just i was listening to nirvana a couple of weeks ago because i just wrote about odetta 
and Odetta was a singer in the 50s and 60s. Well, he, she performed for a long time, but her big work was in the 50s and 60s. And she, maybe more than anyone, brought back uh, the songs of Lead Belly, or in, really introduced them. She yeah, didn't bring yeah, them back. Yeah. She introduced them mm-hmm. into the mainstream, and she did a version of In the Pines. Um, not a really very good version of In the Pines, to be honest. Um, so I was, but she did, <laughs> she did other songs incredibly well. No, she she did something weird with that song. But she was an incredible, incredible performer. So I was comparing Odetta and, and Kurt. And every time I go back to that Lead Billy thing, I'm just like astonished all over again. Oh, yeah. It's just some, something else. He put his foot in that one, didn't he? He did. His entire foot. <laughs> Sasha, do you, uh, <laughs> do you still ride your bicycle around town? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, it's, what, a, little, it's age, a little chilly. At what age do you think you're going to stop riding your bicycle? This is a personal question of mine. I, I, I think the thing that will, will keep me from the grave is continuing to bicycle. Mm. I think a little bit too much about death nowadays, but definitely got to keep yeah. biking. <laughs> definitely got to keep biking. That's good. That's, no, I think, I, I think that's also a very born and raised New Yorker attitude. I mean, there's, that's the best way to get around. It's awesome. It was, um, I mean, you know, growing up, there was a lot of bike stealing. But in that part of the 70s and early 80s, like most of the time you just got your bike back. Like it wasn't like people were kids were selling them on eBay and shit or like, you know. Right. Like a, a bully kid would borrow it. Well, it was usually somebody you knew would take your bike and you'd be like, you'd go to their mom and ask for it back. And, you know, yeah, because that was just kid stuff. But I guess I guess in the, now that I live in the East Village, I guess I mean, in the 70s and 80s, this this was crazy. No one would live here. Are we na- are we neighbors? I'm on Avenue A. Where are you close? What the heckin? A and what? What the Uh-oh. A and f- between between fourth and fifth above Mass Books. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> I had abs- I I thought you lived in L.A. or something. Well, I mean, I'm in Atlanta right now, but I, my apartment is is Avenue A between fourth and fifth. Dude, I'm seventh and B. Wow, truly neighbors. All right, we're gonna we're gonna have to link up for a wow. for a, a brasso, you know? Oh yeah, that's I, I that's a whole other story. I'll see you at Key Foods. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that, Jason. Jason, Sasha, what do you do what do you think about Los Angeles? I'm looking for your friend Leverwitz moment right now as a born and raised New Yorker. <laughs> I think Los Angeles is awesome. I okay. Next question. Um... <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're all set there. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, clean, we got a clean take on that one. Okay, so sorry. Go ahead. I was just joking. Oh no, uh, I think I, I think it's a very beautiful place. I think the light in LA is just amazing. But it, the answer is unfortunately incredibly boring. Like, I need the streets of New York City. They're like sort of the circuit board of my head. I need these streets to walk down, to know what's going on. Having a culture where the street actually doesn't contain the mood of, of what's going on, it's not just the oh. car stuff. Like, because I like cars fine. I'm, I'm not like a, I don't have anything interesting to say about cars, but not having the street be a place where like a huge amount of thinking is happening in a social way was impossible for me like walking out and having the street not mean anything was too fucking strange for me it was december of 2016 and that's actually when i connected with my partner who i now now live with and i came i landed from i mean the cab let me out over on 11th and uh and second and they were selling christmas trees and i had no idea exactly what i was missing about new york but when i saw the people on the streets and all this stuff happening, I was like, 
I was like, mm-hmm. I, I just can't stay in LA anymore. I can't, I can't figure out. You saw that rat run across the sidewalk and you said, I can't quit you, New York, you big stinky apple. Thank you for saying rat. I have a life tip. Please share. All right. So we had mice and bro, these mice, none of the traps, <laughs> none of the traps did anything. The traps were like, this is my friend Leibowitz moment. Mm-hmm. These mice were dancing on top of the peanut butter, doing backflips, taunting. Exactly. It, literally running across those glue traps. Do you know what they okay. don't? They absolutely cannot deal with, and they and they actually went away and they left us alone. Uh, Doctor Bronner's peppermint soap. They hate <laughs> peppermint. They really wow. Shout out really, to the doctor. Yes, that the did good it. Doctor, we just sprayed it on the stove and the, and the counter, and after a week or two, they were like, "Fuck it." They still they still bounce around in the in the heating duct here, like in the little heaters. They run around and well, sure. do like mm-hmm. roller roller derby shit in there, but. <laughs> As long as they stay away from the food, I don't mind. They can do that. I don't, you know, I don't want to kill anyone, but yeah, I, I, my um, my partner, we we had a, a loose mouse in our house. We had a oh. remodel going on, and it snuck into the crawl space, and and we did some research and got some little like cotton balls, soaked them in peppermint oil, and placed them around the stove. And yeah, did the you? same exact thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it <gasps> it absolutely worked, and it also makes the house smell clean and fresh in the time where you need it the most during a rat infestation. Exactly. Wait, so where are you now? I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. I'm in Glendale specifically. Okay. They do they do have rats in LA only if renovating though, I believe. If you're installing a pool, all of a sudden the rats come out. I, I didn't know. see I didn't see any vermin of any kind the whole time I was there. This was this is a covid thing. <laughs> the my my exterminator said that Never in her career, whatever, 20 or 30 years of, of exterminating vermin, uh, has she been this busy because all the restaurants are closed, the dumpsters and grease traps of all the restaurants, but they're closed down, so they've had to take to the uh, residential areas. Uh, but we killed, the, we killed the rat, don't worry. Do you know there's a word, the rat, the rat killing people have a word for where rats live? Um, what do they call like, it? Like the nest? They call it, um, they call it harborage. Harborage. I don't like that. And so That's in lower serious. in lower Manhattan, where I've been for a long time, because sounds like a city in New Jersey. I was down on Broadway and Walker with Deborah <laughs> for about fifteen years, and there are a bunch of restaurants down there and a lot of empty subway tunnels. So like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the restaurants would put, put out their bags at night, and it was it was it was on. Oh my lord! <laughs> such yes, such a, rat, such if rat. You're a rat, oh buddy, it was on. Yeah, you knew it you knew where on. to go. When that's that the, brasserie look, closed, when that when that Circle Rouge, <laughs> when that bistro shut down, you were like, "I'm there." Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the bistro closed, oh hell yeah! Uh, the original squatters of New York. Yeah, they, that's true. They, uh, that's true. I have so much respect for rats, but I really don't want to interact with them. Wow, you said it well put. I agree with Sasha. That. Sasha, thank you for joining us on How Long Gone. This was a special episode. Oh, I I forgot that we were on an episode of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> we we just old pals no, we, catching up. Just talking. Well, just thank old, you so much. Just for, old pals catching up. But honestly, thank you for joining us, and um, I, I'm glad that that uh, that that we were able to get you get you slotted in here. Well, thank you so much. I really uh, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, we we appreciate hey, you taking the time, and um, thank you for being open. And hopefully, you were able to get some stuff out of that brain of yours that needed to come out. Well, thank you so much. I'll send you also this. Uh, the wave file here usually at the end we'll just ask if you have any you know thing that you want to plug any new things coming out that you want to spread the word about subscribe to the Substack, stack by the body meta record by the calvinist record be nice to 
everyone around you in Quar. If you need to hit a meeting, hit a meeting. <laughs> That's, good to, <laughs> That's good to know. Uh, Thank you very much, Sasha. We will. I just subscribed to the subby today, and the I will be for those lossless files. Uh, the subby. <laughs> Kobe, right, Sasha. Kobe. All right, guys. I'll right, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thank Kobe. you. Goodbye. Later. <laughs> no, no. Did a full one.